Part One of Chapter Nine of My Days and Dreams by Edward Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Millthorpe and Household Life. It must be admitted, however, that the acclimatization to the new and somewhat limited and strenuous life at Millthorpe did not take place all at once, and perhaps the fact of my having burnt my boats as it were and committed myself as i had done was after all a good thing for some little time i felt restive and unsettled at the enchainment partly as i have said because the thoreau ideal opening out underneath took the bottom out of the commercial and rather materialistic life in the way of trade in which i was embarking and partly because anyhow the latter sort of life though valuable as an experience was not by its nature likely to hold my interest for long the rustics too and farm folk around me were on my first arrival a little strange and inclined as often happens in such cases to hold off and be suspicious of a newcomer my reputation as a socialist alarmed them there was none of the cordiality of little bradway the climate was damp and the winters were long and i had occasional relapses of feeling about it all yet if i had cut the painter and floated my little boat away on to the great deep i doubt whether the result would have been favourable after all all life means a denial of part of oneself it is obviously impossible to find a situation or conditions which will satisfy all the demands of one's nature millionfold complex as they are some must be sacrificed to moan over that necessity or to pose as a martyr is absurd all one can reasonably do is to find a situation which will satisfy the root demands and the rooting demands those that have the power of growth in them then the seed though it seem to die in its prison house will assuredly find its outlet and quicken into a new life i could not complain in this case that the root needs of my temperament were unsatisfied quite the contrary i was plunged in the very heart of nature that nature which for many years i had felt the need of in a singularly beautiful derbyshire valley with plentiful woods streams and moors i had already become familiar with the mass folk of sheffield and found friends among the workers in many trades and was beginning to know the rustics of my own neighborhood i was leading an outdoor life and my health was every day becoming firmer and more consolidated i had escaped from the dominion of civilization in its two most fatal and much detested forms respectability and cheap intellectualism in my happy valley there was no resident squire of any kind nor even a single villa while the church more than a mile distant 
was quite amiably remote we were just a little population of manual workers sincerely engrossed in our several occupations and finally perhaps more than all i had found a firm basis and secure vantage ground for my literary and productive work people have often asked me if i did not miss the life i had left behind i cannot truly say that i ever did at brighton and at cambridge and partly in london i had had my fill of balls and dinner parties and the usual entertainments and when at the close of those two dispensations somewhere in the early eighties i gave my dress clothes away i did so without any misgiving and without any fear that i should need them again the fact is that though it is perfectly true that by steadily and persistently going to evening parties and social functions one may come into touch with interesting or remarkable people of sorts yet the game is hardly worth the candle through leagues of boredom platitudes and general futility one occasionally has the satisfaction of exchanging a wink of recognition so to speak with some really congenial and original woman or man but at all such functions the severe flow of amiable nonsense soon cuts any real conversation short and if one wants to continue the latter the only way is to arrange a meeting quite outside and apart which after all one might have done in other and simpler ways as to the matter of dress the adoption of a pleasant yet not strictly conventional evening garb of one's own has the useful effect of automatically closing doors which are not worth while and opening those that are so in that way it is much to be recommended on the whole though just the first few years at millthorpe were somewhat isolated i believe my independent life there has really enabled me to see more of the great world than i should otherwise have done visitors from a distance have often many and intimate things to tell one and questions can be discussed in a more leisurely way than in a great centre where everyone stands watch in hand counting the minutes and on the other hand by going myself to london for a fortnight or so three or four times a year i found i could get into touch with all sorts of cliques and circles such as i perhaps should not have cared to be involved in if i had been permanently living there the country became a splendid basis for literary work with the opportunity it afforded so priceless to me of writing in the open air and in close contact with the ordinary realities of life it supplied a good basis for my lecturing and other excursions into the northern towns and with its market gardening and sandal trades kept my hands busy when my head required a rest of the many years mainly spent here at millthorpe the first fifteen from eighteen eighty three to eighteen ninety eight 
were somewhat handicapped for me by the presence of a small working family in the house first for ten years the fernhaus of whom i have already spoken and afterwards for five years the adams no other arrangement was at that time possible both families were charming and interesting in their different ways but necessarily they hampered my freedom a good deal with children in the house in both cases the domestic arrangements had largely to be suited to their necessities and convenience and my interests had to come very decidedly second this did not so much matter at the beginning of the time but later with the expansion of my own sphere of operations a different household arrangement became imperative Fienhau, as i have said was of a powerful uneducated type a good specimen of the british worker a bit slow in brain but exceedingly thorough and downright in all his dealings his wife possessed the infinite patience and kindliness of the household guardian going always about her work with untiring forethought and industry even when as often happened she was silently suffering from bad headaches there was a certain native grace about her and dignity about him which well became them the two children boy and girl of about nine and ten when they first arrived were sensible and natural too to have this family living with me though it may have been hampering in some ways was for some years very helpful whether at meals or working in the fields or sitting round the fire of an evening to be in close touch with so sane and simple an outlook on life and one so entirely different from that to which i had generally been accustomed was in itself an education the very downrightness of daily existence among those who live close upon absolute necessity is a thing hardly realized even by the most well-meaning of the well-to-do unless they positively share that existence of course it cuts away a vast deal of sentimentalism aestheticism and all that but on the whole it is rather healthy i remember one day in later years when annie the daughter had gone away to work in sheffield speaking to her mother about the girl whose absence i knew she felt and saying rather sentimentally i expect you miss annie a good deal nowadays the answer was characteristic and in its way quite lovely yes i do miss her especially on washing days it was not that mrs fearnhow cared one whit less for her daughter than many a very cultured mother might but simply that her answer allowed the bed-rock of human nature to be seen at any rate it took the wind out of my sentimentality not long ago i was asking a neighboring farmer whose son had just got married and migrated on to a little farm of his own how the son liked his new place like it said the old man with a dryish sort of laugh well i guess he'll like it if 
he can any way make a living out of it and if he can't he won't he'll be better able to say in a year or two it is from answers like these that one perceives how close to the rocks the lives of the mass peoples are thrust too close indeed to allow much scope for expression of their real life or liking Fearnhau and i stumbled away at our market gardening for a good many years being both to begin with quite ignorant of the trade we made our full complement of mistakes and purchased our experience sometimes dearly yet by degrees we got the land into good order we dug it over made drains to carry off the water planted a hundred or two of fruit and forest trees built bits of walls and fences kept a horse and fowls and grew our crops and took our produce into market a strenuous time but greatly interesting in its way my commercial instinct was weak but albert's was perhaps even weaker with his real love of good work he would spend as much time preparing an onion bed as could only be paid for by ten times the value of the crop and at one period he insisted on rooting every bit of rock and stone out of the subsoil so persistently that i began to think the garden would be turned into a quarry it was characteristic of him when i remonstrated to say i can't help it if i didn't do my work thorough when i'm at it i should only keep awake at night thinking about it i have already given some of the general results and conclusions of our labors of that time when the period of our experiment came to an end fearnhau returned again to his scythe-making trade in sheffield which he still carries on hale and hearty down to this day nineteen fifteen i cannot pass this period by without dwelling for a moment on another friend at that time a member of the household i mean my dog bruno so called not from his color for he was a very handsome black spaniel but from some fanciful association with giordano bruno the italian that dog like so many black animals black horses black cats black poodles black plumaged birds rooks jackdaws starlings and so forth had something demonic about him the tenderness and gentleness of his spirit combined with a penetrative vision which searched one's very soul was almost superhuman i came first to know him when he was merely a puppy at a friend's house we almost fell in love with each other then and there and i was not altogether surprised when a few weeks afterwards he arrived at my door sent on as a present from the said friends he never doubted for a moment that he had come to his true home and he settled down at once a most loving member of the household the fearnhaus took to him right cordially and albert himself a year or so later had the great satisfaction of saving him from a horrible death i had been out somewhere on foot with bruno and arriving back within a couple of hundred yards of my gate i perceived the local pack of foxhounds 
the pests of this as of all countrysides scattered about the road between me and home the huntsman having gone into the public-house for a moment to have a drink but that moment was more than sufficient for hounds are dangerous things unless under severe control something occurred i know not what a hound gave cry the others joined in and in an instant to my horror and despair the whole pack was yelling in pursuit and bruno flying for his life in the only direction he could at the moment fly away from home the dog was swift and active but what chance had he i gave him up for lost with extraordinary agility however and much presence of mind he doubled and clearing ever so many garden walls and gates dashed through the little hamlet back again finally racing across one of my fields with the whole pack close behind and of course gaining on him most luckily albert was in our yard at the moment and hearing the hullabaloo rushed out with a pitchfork in his hand just in time to check the ravening horde while bruno rushed past him to safety a moment more and the dog would have been torn to fragments bruno showed in high degree that curious quality resembling conscience in man by which dogs having contracted and adopted a new standard of life from their masters betray an emotional conflict going on within them sometimes as is often the case where fowls are kept we would have a nest of newly hatched chicks being kept warm and dry in a basket on the hearth on such occasions bruno was torn by conflicting passions the very sight and smell of the chicks roused the old primitive hunting instinct and he would creep nearer and nearer to the basket in a very ecstasy of excitement his limbs trembling and his nose quivering as he sniffed the prey yet he knew perfectly well that he must not touch and his fidelity was so absolute that i firmly believe he harbored no intention of doing so but who can tell we felt that possibly a sudden frenzy of the animal nature might overtake him and we could not do otherwise than keep on the watch as a matter of fact he never did do anything rash but the tension on him poor dog was so great that sometimes for two or three days he would hardly touch his food and he positively grew quite thin under the strain it was really a relief for all of us when the hatching days were over there is something strangely touching in the fact that dogs not only thus develop a conscience and a morality foreign to their canine nature but that also from their intense devotion to their so-called masters they are severed and alienated to some degree from the natural loves of their race at any rate on the affectional side i think bruno nourished in his heart a strange susceptibility to beauty his amours with other dogs were only of the ordinary kind 
but he cherished for a certain white kitten a positive adoration the kitten was certainly beautiful snow-white and graceful to a degree and to bruno obviously a goddess but alas like other goddesses only too fickle and even cruel when bruno arrived on the scene the kitten would skip onto the vantage ground of a chair seat and from thence torment the pathetic and pleading nose of the dog with naughty scratches again and again would bruno wounded in his heart as well as his head return to his ineffectual suit only to have his advances rejected as before at last he had to abandon this quest but it was curious that a year or two later he fell in love with another white kitten in much the same way and with much the same result everything however comes to him who waits and the most curious and pathetic part of this story is its ending for a good many years afterwards when bruno had become quite an old dog and had lost much of his activity a cat came and fell in love with him this cat used to come from a neighboring farm and spend much of its time with the dog and frequently at night would stay with him in the little outhouse which he used as a kennel sleeping between the dog's paws ultimately the cat was there when bruno died fearnhouse place when he returned to sheffield was taken by george adams who also with wife and two children came to share the millthorpe cottage with me adams was in most ways the very reverse of albert fearnhouse town bred rather slight and thin with a forward stoop and a shock of black hair he was of an impetuous humorous and rather artistic temperament not too exact or precise about details but one who could cover a good deal of ground in a day born in the poorest slums of sheffield he told me more than once how after his mother died he was left alone a mere urchin in a tiny lodging with his father his father was a cobbler by trade rather given to drink and in the habit of going out early of a morning to work as a wage slave in some shop and returning late when he went out he left a half penny on the table for the boy to find his food with during the day not a very good start in life the boy roamed about half starved caging or snaking what he could but developed perhaps in consequence a singular resourcefulness when about thirteen his father died and he was left absolutely alone in the world the neighbors may have been kind in their way but he was alone and without refuge to flee to then something pathetic happened an orphanage for little girls had lately been opened in the neighborhood and the boy knew one or two of these girls one evening at closing time the matron discovered among her little flock this large-eyed thin-legged almost rickety ragamuffin sitting asked what he was doing there he replied that he wanted to be taken in 
but the orphanage is for girls only said the matron and you are not a girl it was no use he would not go tears ran down his face he told his plight and they were fain to find him a bed in an attic for the night needless to say he remained a second and a third night the pale mobile face made friends and the end of it was that a boy's side was created in the orphanage and added to that of the girls after remaining in the orphanage for a year or two a place was found for george adams in the villa residence of a sheffield manufacturer where he went first as knife and boot boy and afterwards as under gardener the good people of the villa discovered his taste for drawing and painting and sent him to a school of art for lessons and so when at the age of twenty or so he left service and started for himself as an insurance collector most depressing of occupations he had a fair knowledge of gardening and a fair artistic ability at his command he married and joined the socialist movement became one of our most lively and adventurous spirits the departure of the fernhaus gave me the opportunity of offering their place at millthorpe to him and his family which he accepted as a joyful exchange from the dismal trade of eternally dunning the needy denizens of mean streets for their funeral and coffin monies with his arrival at millthorpe things took on a more lively air there his knowledge of gardening was a decided help and the financial side of the venture if not exactly a success from the purely commercial point of view did certainly under the circumstances absence of any rent etc yield a small profit to the good he took up cordially with the sandal making which i had at first carried on alone and which came in useful in winter when the outdoor work was slack and he added beekeeping to our activities my literary work and connections were increasing and the place became more social and more especially socialistic than it had been before so much so indeed that the country folk or some of them at any rate became a little alarmed a year or two after george adams's arrival the parish councils act came into operation and the first election was the cause of much excitement in the villages adams and i though knowing perfectly well that we had no chance of success decided chiefly for the fun of the thing to come forward as candidates and almost a panic ensued among the larger farmers and the parson as to what we might possibly do or propose strange stories were circulated of the socialist program and of the expenses into which the community would certainly be plunged if it were adopted but the finishing touch to our chances was given by an election address printed and circulated by one candidate of decidedly conservative type in which he did not hesitate to say that quote, it is reported publicly in holmesfield that one of our opponents 
advocates the burning of the bible and also working on the sabbath day after that we had no prospect of success which of us two was really pointed at in this accusation we never quite knew though we entered into a sort of friendly rivalry for the honor but the printed card containing the address i retain to this day and it is a treasured possession adams was certainly not mealy-mouthed and i am afraid he made very blasphemous remarks at times but his intense sense of fun and his twinkling delight over good stories quite redeemed any such deficiencies his courageous humor was all the more remarkable because poor thing he was always suffering from ill health dating from the early life which i have described his internal arrangements as can easily be imagined never worked really properly and at times he would suffer a lot of pain and become seriously emaciated how he managed to keep up his gardening and other activities in spite of frequent illness was always a wonder but his vivid imagination carried him on and if he were downcast at times new plans and enterprises were sure to come in and disperse the pessimistic mood the gardening work however at millthorpe was too much for his slight frame and after some five years stay there he elected to retire with his family into a cottage not far off in the same parish and devote himself to the sandal trade and to the occasional sale of his watercolor drawings this he did and after remaining for four or five years moved on to the lechworth garden city where his labors and his personality were very much appreciated and where he occupied a little home of his own until his death in nineteen ten end of part one of chapter nine